Hello, my beautiful beings, and welcome to today's episode. So today's episode is all about the ick. What is the ick? Is it instinct? Should you run for the hills? Should you push through because it's just some crazy thought that you're having? What is it? So I can't wait to go through it. I actually um, put the call out on my Instagram a couple of weeks ago in a little question box and I was like, please let me know what gives you the ick. And some of them are like some of them are full fucking red flags and some of them are so far-fetched and hilarious. You guys made me laugh so much, so much. I was in tears. Okay. So I've got a massive list of them and I'm going to try and like break them down and read a bunch of them throughout the episode. Um, just because there's like so many of them that I'll just do like little sections of reading out the ick because they're just too good not to read out. Um, little life update. I am currently working on something that I'm about to announce very, very soon. It has to do with a membership offering for you guys. There's two tiers. So there's something for everyone. And the beauty of what I'm offering is that the podcast stays the same. So for people that are not interested in doing extra content or can't afford extra content, et cetera, et cetera, my offering of the podcast and the two episodes per week stays the same. Um, just a little side note that I did want to mention, I did actually get some comments on the Facebook group, people being a little bit angry about saying that the merch is priced too high. Um the quality of the merch, Maddie and I worked our asses off to get really, really good quality merch. The sweaters, the tees, like it's very, very good quality. It was also in US dollars that I then had to convert when when manufactured and everything convert to Australian dollars. So I lost out a lot on manufacturing. Um, it cost me quite a bit per item. Then it had to get shipped to Australia, landed, taxes, everything. So the profit margins that I'm making are actually not as high as what some people think that they are making. And another thing that I would like to note is that I understand that it might not be affordable for absolutely everyone, but I do feel like I kind of sometimes have to remind people that the bulk of my job, which is the podcast and my career and what I do, and the aim of it is to provide free content twice a week to my audience. So I do already feel like I'm contributing a lot and giving a lot of free stuff. Not that I even have to, like this isn't a fucking charity. We're all here to make money on this world, but I'm saying that I love that I'm able to provide this free content. So I would, you know, if, if something's not in your price point, I totally understand that. But I also don't understand why people have been quite angry with me about that. I don't think that's fair. You know, everyone's entitled to run a business. Everyone's entitled to put a price point to something. And I haven't even priced it in a way that I'm making some crazy profit. Okay. Um, I just feel like that needed to be said because I'm all about calling people out when necessary. Um, I do put out a lot of free fucking shit for people and I love to do it, but I also don't appreciate being, you know, something being written on the Facebook group, which is supposed to be a community around the podcast about people being so disappointed in me about the prices. Anyway, separate to all of that, I am putting a membership thing together. There's going to be two tiers. I'm pricing it as well as I can. I am making it as reasonable as possible and there's two options. So it's hopefully something that can, you know, target every level. And if it's not something that you're interested in, there's nothing to worry about because the actual content of the podcast itself is not going to change at all. I'm not going to limit what's happening on the podcast content and put it somewhere else. The two episodes are staying as is 
and there's just going to be extra content. And in that content, it's going to be, you know, there's going to be workouts, there's going to be a whole bunch of things. So I'll be keeping you updated with what's going on there. It's very fucking exciting. Um, and that's happening relatively soon. I'm just in the middle of kind of getting it all ready, putting it all together. So when that happens, I will be giving you a more updated timeline. Um, all right, let's get straight into the brain fact of today and then we'll get straight into the episode. All right, the brain fact of today. How does smell trigger such strong memories? So today we're talking about odor-evoked memory. It's also known as something called the Proust phenomenon, which is a writer, I believe, who wrote about this intense wave of emotions that he felt when he had cake that fell into tea and the combination of the two brought him back to his childhood and he writes about it. Something along those lines. Don't fucking get me if I don't have those details right, but it's roughly around that. So it's kind of this concept. Have you ever been walking down the street and you've smelt a perfume or you've gone to someone's house and you've used their hand cream after washing your hands and it's taken you right back to a time in your life? Often it's when you were quite young or it's taking you back to a person in your life. Or you might have smelt like a brand of deodorant that you used to use when you were like 15 and you remember you get this vivid, vivid memory of something that happened when you were 15 around that deodorant, for example, um, that you probably have forgotten about and didn't even realise that you had that memory still stored in your brain. Or it makes you remember details of a time that you didn't realise still existed. Or you could walk past a stranger and smell a perfume and remember the four dates you went on with this person eight years ago who wore that exact same fragrance and you realise that there's all these stored details, so much richness in detail of these memories that you thought you had completely forgotten about, okay? So why is it that odour-evoked memories are so clear and so intense, more so than when you talk about a memory um, or when you see something, you know, when you see the brand of something, it doesn't take you right back to that time of when you were a child and you saw that brand, okay? Why is that? It actually has a lot to do with the anatomy of the brain and the proximity of certain parts of the brain that are involved with this phenomena or phenomenon, I should say. So when you smell something, when a scent enters your nose, when you become, when you're aware of a scent, the neurons that make up the olfactory receptors pick up this signal and then they send this signal down to a part of the brain right behind the nose or just next to the nose at the front of the brain and it's called the olfactory bulb. And this region is responsible for smell or scent perception, okay? It's what perceives a scent. And it goes from just behind the nose, the olfactory bulb, and extends down deep into the centres of your brain. And when you, when you have a scent, those neurons – those um, olfactory receptors send this signal to the olfactory bulb. It sends it down through that region and it ends up in an area called the limbic system. You may have heard me speak about the limbic system before. And the limbic system contains a whole bunch of 
different regions, but here specifically in the limbic system, it gets sent to your hippocampus, which is a part of your brain that's responsible for memory formation, memory consolidation, um, emotional learning, cognition, all of that. And it also gets sent to the amygdala. And this is an area of the brain that processes emotion. You might have heard of the amygdala being referred to as the fear center because it's the thing that lights up quite intensely when you um, when you there's a stimulus in front of you that's evoking a lot of fear, like a fear response, okay? So these signals receive this or the signal gets sent very, very quickly and these brain regions receive this input very quickly from when the scent enters the nose, okay? And this is thought to be the reason that it seems that smell triggers such strong memories and why there's such a strong association more so than your other senses, okay? Like you can hear a song and it triggers an emotion, but for some reason, as far as reports go globally for however long they've been studying it, it just seems that smell is a much more intense and detailed trigger of a memory than any other sense. And they believe it's because the smell's are closely linked to this memory consolidation area. So often you have an emotional memory from the first time that you smelt something. And normally when you smell something that triggers a memory, it takes you back to the first time in your life that you used that product, that you ate that thing, that you met that person that had that smell to them, um, that your grandmother cooked that cake. You know, it takes you back to your earliest memory of that scent. Okay. Uh, or if not the earliest, the strongest memory of that scent. So an example of this would be, let's say you knew of a perfume that you liked, um, you know, you knew of it for a while, maybe a friend used it, maybe your sibling or your parent used it. And then you date someone who was like re a really intense relationship. Maybe it was toxic. Maybe it was really painful breakup. And that person used that scent, okay? Then the breakup happened and it was fucking traumatizing and it was just you tried to eliminate all sources of that person from your memory because it was just too much. Then when you smell that perfume again, it triggers you probably to the X, maybe not the first time you smelled the perfume, maybe. It depends on what's got a stronger association, but often, you know, something that's linked to a lot of positive or negative emotions is what's going to be that dominant memory. So you might find in in that case that perfume might be triggered might trigger the, not maybe not the first memory, but the most intense memory, okay? But in general, it's normally going to be something earlier on in life. Childhood, teenagehood, think of like foods, flowers, etc. Flavor also falls into this category. Like when you chew food, um, the molecules of what you're eating go up through the up to the nasal epilithium, and then that becomes a scent. So essentially you're smelling what you're eating. So you might also get this intense memory experience when you eat something as well. Now, these odors, it's called odor-evoked memories – are different to memories from other senses. They're less frequent. They're normally from the first decade in your life or the first two decades in your life. And they're normally around things that you don't often think about. It kind of just gets pulled out of thin air, bang, and brought to the forefront of your memory, okay? These memories, they're memories that can evoke a really, really strong emotional response more than any other sense or any other trigger. And studies have shown that memories from one's past that are triggered by smell are a lot more emotional and they activate much larger areas in the emotional processing region of the brain than other senses. And they're also able to place that person back in time where the original memory took place 
more than any of the other senses. For example, if you hear a song and you think, oh my God, grade 12, it's often in general, it's going to be a trigger of like a general time. Whereas a smell, an odor, uh, an odor evoked memory is way more specific of a person, of an actual event of when you first, you know, when your grandmother made you this thing and then you see her face, you see her hands. It's a lot more um, intense and realistic when you smell something. So ultimately it all comes down to the closeness of the olfactory bulb and emotional and associative learning centers of the brain, okay? That's that's what we believe is what's going on. It's because it's so close together, you don't have to go down this whole, you know, cascade of processing centers. It's literally smell, bang, memory, locked in, okay? It's also a, a quite a primitive sense as well, unlike vision, which has just gotten like better and better and better through time. So there might potentially, there might be more processing that occurs with vision due to how it's evolved versus smell, which is a lot more um, primitive and it may not have so many higher operating centers that need to process the information that enters. That may or may not be the cause, but that's, that's one of the theories. Now, in a, in a few PubMed articles that I found, um, uh, some reviews that stated the following. So one in particular, there's an article from, that was published in 2016 by Rachel Hertz. This one was is talking about treatments and there's there are treatments for its psychological and physiolog- physiological stress and it uses the treatment of positive odour-evoked memories to elicit a positive emotional state to help people in their healing. Okay, so you use an odour that you know is going to trigger a positive that's the most important thing, emotional state. And when you get them in that positive emotional state through the use of odor or scent, um, you, you, that's a way of therapy. It's a way of healing. Okay. And studies have shown um, this, it's, it's called psychoneuroimmune interactions. So these odor evoked memories helped reduce inflammation, which is the basis for a lot of disease. They also found that it has the possibility to increase positive emotions overall, lower stress, lower food cravings. And in some cases, it can also encourage specific emotions. So it can encourage self-confidence. It can encourage motivation. And it can also encourage feel you feeling more energized. Now, keep in mind, this treatment is different to what aromatherapy is. And the studies that are that are spoken about in these PubMed articles that I'm referencing, they're not focusing on aromatherapy. Aromatherapy is the concept that plant-based aromas can influence mood and wellness. Okay, so it's that's the belief behind aromatherapy. And I'm not talking about the science, I've got no idea about it, I haven't looked into it, but that's what the idea of aromatherapy is. In odor-evoked memories, it's the memory that is going to evoke all these changes, okay? The memory itself is what's going to um, set off this cascade of feel-good feelings, feeling empowered, feeling motivated, and the scent or the odour is what is kind of the trigger, but it's indirect. So the odour sets off a memory and a feeling, and it's the memory and the feeling that then causes these positive changes, the anti-inflammatory effects, et cetera, et cetera. So the difference between aromatherapy is they're saying it's a direct thing and in this treatment that I'm referring to, um, it's more so the emotions that you feel because of the 
the scent that you smelt. All right. So I thought that was really interesting brain fact. That is all for the brain fact section of the day. All right. So let's get right into the topic of today, which is the ick. Okay, what is the ick? I'm going to quickly break it down into two categories and then I'm going to go way deeper into it. So the ick can be one of two broad categories. The first one, it's a gut instinct that tells you that something is off, it's wrong, it's your instinct saying, no, something's not right here and it's causing me to physically feel off this person or even repulsed by this action or this person. The second thing is that the ick could be that you don't find their behavior exciting or attractive, so you instantly label them as not your type. And then when they do something that is really not something that you normally would find attractive, you kind of think, mm, no, that's not my person, That's that really annoys me, don't like how they text, don't like how, how they say certain things, don't like how tight they tie their shoelaces, absolutely not, okay? And it's putting you in a position where you don't want to be vulnerable, don't want to open up to them and you just kind of shut them out, okay? So it's almost like you've kind of thought a little bit more about it and it's kind of doing your head in when you focus on that one thing, whatever that one thing might be. So like I said, I did put a call out on my Instagram. I'm going to read a couple of them first. I'm going to literally, like I said, I'm going to um, read a bunch out as I go throughout the episode. So let's start with the first 15, okay? Black sheets on bed. Um, rude to the waiter, comic book paraphernalia in their home, still living with parents, constant negativity, someone saying, are you spoken for, possessiveness around what you wear, thongs on a first date, as in flip-flops on a first date, for those of you that are not Australian. Um, when he puts on a baby voice or baby talk, I had so many of these baby voice, baby talk ones, by the way. When someone is too keen, Bad hygiene or toothpaste on their mirror. Someone who can't do their own laundry. Another one, bad oral hygiene. Talking about NFTs or stock too often and dirty nails. Okay, that's the first chunk of them. So as you can see, there's a mix between um, there's a mix between some that are quite serious. Like I think that someone who is constantly negative or rude to the waiter or bad hygiene in general is kind of that's something that's yep and then some are just really fucking funny like um like black sheets on the bed although I also do not like the idea of black sheets on the bed in general so kind of feeling you there on that one but anyway don't know if that would make me not want to be with somebody but maybe it would who knows who knows where fate would have taken me if Tyrone had black sheets on his bed when I met him anyway so Let's first talk about what is not the ick. If you're dating someone for a while and after really liking them for a while, everything's going really well, you start to feel a little bit turned off. This is more likely not really the ick as far as the term ick goes. It's more likely you making a calculated judgment being like, I've dated you. Dating is the test drive. I've test driven this thing and I'm starting to get turned off. I'm learning things about the relationship, our dynamic, or you as a person in general that I'm not loving, okay? And you're getting more and more information as you date someone, the longer you date them. So you get all this information. So you're able to decide. Um, so it's not really this instant visceral disgust, but it's more of a considered 
process that you start noticing that you're like, nah, I'm not, I'm fucking not vibing this thing. You have more and more information and that's what gives you the doubt. So that's not really the ick, okay, when you've been dating for a while. It's more so when you meet someone in the early stages and you have these, these full repulsions towards certain things that this person does. And the ick, so what it is, is the ick is when you're seeing someone on some level and then all of a sudden something happens or they do something or they say something and you're bang, you're turned off. Like you are very obviously turned off. You feel it and it's like, oh, oh I don't even want to look at it. This grosses me out, okay? Um, it's really hard to push through. It's really hard to fight it. It's possible. Some people can push through it. I've done it. Um, but it's almost like quite jarring to get past this thing and it really feels like you need to abandon ship and get the fuck out of there because it's like you can't it almost stops you from feeling physically attracted to that person it's a visceral it's a gut reaction it's like it feels like instinct kicking in and it's now your job to say are my instincts working against me at the moment because I've trained them in that way or do I know myself well enough and this is my gut reaction saying fucking run okay if you've had the ick, then you know exactly what it's like. It's not hard to know when it's happening. Like the ick is very, very easy to identify when it's happening to you. It's not confusing at all. So let's go through the reasons why someone might feel the ick. Number one, this person and what they're doing does not align with what you have created in your mind as the ideal person. Okay. And if it defies that, you think, I'm not going to be happy. They're not doing what I would want in an ideal person. Um, so it's letting me know that I'm not going to get what I want from this person. I'm not interested. I've got the ick. Number two, instinct. The behavior is a red flag, whether you're acknowledging it at face value or not. It's something that you know consciously or subconsciously that this is not right. It's not sitting well with you. It's just, it's, it's off whatever it is that they're doing. So your instinct is kicking in and it's making you physically repulsed by this person because you might not be picking up on these clues consciously. Often you might hear of people, this is going on a, on a bit of a tangent, but often you might hear of people who they will be in a relationship for a while and they know that it's just kind of not working out, they were having arguments, this and that, and then it gets to a point where they physically uh, grossed out at the thought of having sex with their partner when not that long ago they were very physically attracted to their partner. Their physicality hasn't changed, the sex hasn't changed, but it's almost like your body sometimes knows best. It's almost like you're denying what needs to happen, you're, 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 you're forcing yourself to stay in a, in a relationship that your body then says, fine, you're not going to listen to me, you're not going to get out of this relationship, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make even sex gross. You know, So it's, it's sometimes this instinctive thing that your body does to protect you. So that's another the possibility. It's out of instinct. Number three, you just don't want to be in a relationship with this person. So you are consciously or subconsciously making up all these external small detailed reasons as to why you can't be with this person, even if you're the only one who's, who you're telling it to, instead of just acknowledging that a true spark just doesn't exist. Number four, you're so attracted to this treat them mean, keep them keen, then when someone is kind and caring and romantic, it feels like way too full on, repulsive, you're just too much. Um, this idea of you just, you're not really used to this kind of love and affection in the dating scene, that you've kind of maybe convinced yourself that you prefer 
this colder approach to dating and when someone does something quote-unquote cheesy, because you've never really delved into that or you were like you've convinced yourself that that's not your thing, it ends up being such a turn-off and it ends up coming on way too strong. And as a way of protecting yourself because you didn't want to get vulnerable in the old relationships where it was a lot colder, you've said, no, that's gross, I don't like it. However, the issue is that if you're so adamant that you don't like intimacy and all of that, when someone is potentially a great catch for you who's trying to be open and loving, you might actually block out a really good person purely because you're like, they're too into me, they're too full on, fuck off, you know, play hard to get. Um, Number five, if you've been raised like throughout your childhood with not much affection at all or if you've craved affection as a child and never got it, then to protect yourself, you made yourself believe that you don't like affection. You don't like physical affection. You don't like it when people are saying too many nice things to you too much. You're like, just play it cool, cunt. Like, just be cool. Stop. Just fucking stop, okay? And that's a protective mechanism. That's because you didn't get it as a child, so you convinced yourself that you never needed it. And not only that you didn't need it, but you convinced yourself that you didn't want it. And so then all of a sudden, you've never experienced this. When someone's affectionate, you're basically gagging because you've convinced yourself that it's gross, okay? And it feels pretty much invasive and a bit unsettling because you're not used to it. Number six, um, it might actually be little to do with the person itself, but more of an aversion to get close to someone if you didn't feel instant fireworks. A lot of the time, if you don't feel instant fireworks, you're like, something's not right. I'm normally used to feeling this like crazy fireworks or anxiety when they text me and I'm not feeling it. So something's wrong with this person, something's off. And then you start like trying to find all these little things that are going to prove you right. It's like confirmation bias. Um, And number seven, if a behavior is too far out of the realm of what you loved about your previous partner, it might stand out too much and be too hard to like. A lot of people, when they move on from their ex, especially if it took if you struggled to get over your ex, a lot of people try and find a replica of their ex. Not maybe, you know, not every single thing, but you look for someone that kind of, you know, especially if you're the one that was heartbroken, you look for someone that kind of is very similar vibe to your ex, maybe same coloring, maybe if they had tats, you want tats again, if they're, you know, their behaviors, or I want someone that always would go to the gym, or I want someone that was, you know, a high-flying business person or whatever it is, but you try and, you know, a lot of people try and like find a, you know, the next best version of their ex in their next partner. So if you meet someone who you're, you know, you have great banter with, but they're so far removed from who you are looking for and what you deem to be your perfect person that it's like, oh, gross, gross, gross. Like that's not at all what I want. I have a list and you're way too far out of that list. That's starting to gross me out. Okay. So those are a bunch of reasons why you might feel the ick. And what causes you to feel the ick for one person does not necessarily cross over to another person. What grosses you out about this person might be completely fine if someone else did it. So if you think about someone that you used to love in your past or if you think of someone who you were crazy in love with when nothing ever eventuated, if they had done this behavior that you're currently feeling the ick for, would it repulse you as much to the extent that you'd be no longer attracted to them? Maybe not, okay? So it is person dependent. It's very heavily person dependent. Now let's go into another big bunch of icks just to break it up a little bit. All right, let's go. I've got the list here. 
Unloading emotional baggage too soon. Sunglasses on the back of the neck. Someone being clingy. When they play the air guitar. Revving the engine unnecessarily. Inability to talk about feelings so they get defensive. Red marks on the edge of the mouth after eating spaghetti. Having a God complex. When someone is play fighting with me and licks my face. Not having firm boundaries with their family. Sunglasses on in every photo. Holes in their socks. Over editing their photos so their skin looks too smooth. Too many emojis in text messages or can't spell. When they say to me, you are out of my league. You must have so many guys texting you. Winking too much. Texting he, 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 he. Super touchy-feely in front of friends. Telling me to smile. Bad kisser. Too many compliments. Keeps peanut butter next to the bed. Speaks like a child. Stealing small items. This is like criminal behavior. Clearing their throat. Just in general, clearing their throat. When they are sick. The poor bastard. When they're sick. Um, when they are against getting therapy. Um, if they use Snapchat. Complaining too much. Never moving out of home. Stingy. Being homophobic. When they are rude to their mother. When their shoelaces are too tight. Always agreeing to my opinion instead of coming up with their own. Being sunburnt and peeling. Okay, there's another, there's a whole bunch more, but I'll read that out a little bit later. There's a fucking classic, can I just say? Okay, so back to the points that I was talking about. Another thing, a really big thing that I want you to pay attention to is other people's opinions influence your ick a lot. If you have an idea within your group or within your family or within your community or school or whatever, if you have an opinion, a collective idea of what is cool or acceptable and someone is doing the opposite to that social construct, it might actually be enough to turn you off. If you know that, like let's say you like this person, but then you notice them do something that you know that your friends would laugh at you will get, well, you may likely get the ick because you feel like if they don't accept this, they might not accept my choice. Therefore, I don't feel accepted. It, we are so heavily driven by being accepted within our group and within our community that a collective concept of what is acceptable heavily will influence your opinion on what's a turn on and what's a turn off in somebody else. So if you see something that you think could cause you embarrassment, you see that as a threat. People see the, the prospect of embarrassment as a threat to themselves and how they fit into society or their friends or their family. So you might feel the need to protect yourself from being laughed at. So you go cold on this person because you know that that person's going to be judged and therefore you're going to feel judged. And so you just find, you're like, you find that's just too repulsive. I can't, that's gross. That's gross. I can't get my head around that for us to be able to date. So it's kind of a protective mechanism, this idea of not wanting to be laughed at. Mind you, I obviously don't think it's appropriate to be laughing at people for really basic things, but that's just what happens. Okay. Now, Question, the main question, should you push past the ick? Do you push past the feeling and keep trying or do you run for the hills? That is the question. I would never encourage anyone to go against instinct. If something doesn't feel right, you need to listen to your body, okay? Like I said before, sometimes the body knows better. Personally for me, I can recall times in my life where I got this 
unexplained ick with my ex on the most, on the smallest things, the, the one that was really emotionally abusive. And very early on, before the emotional abuse ever started, I would get the ick on just the way he would try and explain himself, the way his face muscles would change. Like his facial expressions gave me the ick. I'm like, oh, I hate it when you fucking pull that face. And it was just these minor things that would change or his body language would change um, or the way he would shrug when he didn't like something I said. I just, I remember feeling so grossed out by these minor things and pushing past it thinking, don't be so ridiculous, Alexis. They're just tiny things, okay? And I remember moving past it relatively quickly. I kind of suppressed it, suppressed it, being like, get over it, don't focus on it, it's fine, it's fine, it's nothing. And then once things progressed and he started really showing his true colours, those little um, changes in his face or the way he shrugged, those specific things were how he would then explode and react in another way. He was just suppressing it at the beginning. So it's almost like I instinctively could see that something was behind the surface that was making alarm bells go off in my head. But I thought I was just being ridiculous thinking as if a facial expression is enough to fucking walk away from someone, calm down. There's so much good here. Like you're having so much fun with this person, just relax, Alexis. And also he was my, you know, quote unquote normal type. So it's just really interesting and I always, I don't know, I wonder if that was just my instincts telling me that something was off in hindsight and I was just suppressing it hard. So that's why I say I don't encourage someone to, for you to go completely against your instincts. However, I do need to put a little disclaimer here. Like I stated in the reasons above or before, you might be pushing someone away who's a legend and getting grossed out for different reasons, not because it's a red flag, but because they're just not a replica of your ex or a replica of the ideal that you had in your mind or an unrequited love that never worked out for you and now you're basing every single person off that and if they don't live up to that standard, then disgusting, gross, you know. So if that's the case, what do you do? How do you know? Do I push past? Do I listen to my instinct? When is it a situation to bail? When is it a situation to give this more of a chance? So let's say you're in a situation. You meet someone who's great on paper. They're really into you. They might not be your normal type, but you just have such a great time together. You give it a crack and bang, the way they text you with too many emojis is making you ill, okay? Or the words that they used in conversations, they, they, they used a name for you, cutie or whatever, and you just grossed you out. And you're just now really annoyed that you're feeling this way. What do you do? Okay. And the same goes for like they wear their sunglasses on the back of their neck or they, you know, a few of these like minor things that you're like, ah, oh, wish I didn't say that. You're fucking annoying me now. So this is what I want you to check before you run for the hills. Because if you still want to run for the hills, run for the hills. You might just not be into that person. You don't have to force yourself into anything. We're not in a prison here. But check the following. Number one, ask yourself, are there unresolved things in my life? Am I not over my ex? And I'm just really putting way too much pressure on this poor, unfortunate cunt that's just trying their best with me. And they're just grossing me out because I just want my ex or the next best thing. That's a possibility. Number two, is this something small that I can ask them just not to do and make light of it? Like saying, can you please call me anything but sweetie? I know I'm being really weird right now, but for whatever reason, it grinds my gears. And just be playful about it. And most people will be playful back and maybe how they react about how you've asked them not to call you that or whatever, not to text that way 
will be playful enough and make you feel better about them and think, you know, if it's something major about their behaviour, it probably obviously still needs to be addressed but it might not be something that they're willing to change or they might get super defensive about it and then that's your cue to be like, well, I've addressed it. They got really defensive and angry. Maybe this is just <laughs> isn't really the right thing at the moment anyway, okay? Number three, get comfortable with the fact that the person, that your person, your future person can be different to you and different to what you think is right for you and that's not a bad thing. You know, open your horizons and look at other couples that you deem to be successful, whether in your family, in your friendship group. Think about couples that are like have this epic bond who are just fucking bounce off each other. They, you know, they have their jokes together. They are so solid. There's no toxicity whatsoever. They are each other's rock, but also they have the best time, you know, those couples. Think about those couples in your life. Think of a bunch of examples, not just one example, okay? And sometimes it's not about all the external glamorous things, slash almost always. It's not about the external glamorous things. It's not about how hot they are as a couple, how successful their jobs are, um, how successful they've been with X, Y, Z. It's rarely about those things that make the dynamic of that couple so successful, Okay. It's, it's the banter, the fun they can have together, the connection, the trust, the, the bond. So ask yourself, what am I prioritizing here? Because I could have that level of legendary as in a relationship, but am I prioritizing appearance, car they drive, you know, the way they carry themselves, how much money they have, how they're able to shout all my friends when we go out? You know, that sounds really superficial, but like I'm saying like, what am I prioritizing here? Is it superficial things or is it deep things? Because if it's not, I am prioritizing deep things and this person is still grinding my gears, then that's fine. Okay. It's not saying force yourself into it. Just be like, no, I always, you know, I can look at any person and, and not think you have to be a certain type. I am open-minded and not, they're still grinding my gears. Great. You can tick that one off the list. Number five, if you still feel like it's not right, ask yourself, is this a raging red flag for their behavior or not? Because you can look at something and think, no, nah, no, it feels like a red flag. I actually don't just feel grossed out, but I feel like I feel like it's wrong. I don't feel comfortable with how they said that thing or when they did that thing, something was off. And sometimes you just have to listen to your instincts, okay? Sunglasses behind the neck, I don't know. Black sheets, I don't know. But how they speak to a waiter, yeah, that's a, that is a red flag. I do see that as a red flag. You know, if they speak really poorly to someone that is of quote unquote no no direct value to them, that says a lot about a person. So there are certain things in someone's behavior that may be enough of a red flag for you to be like, I fucking know what I'm doing here and I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that person tonight or ever. And number six, remember that you don't find the perfect relationship. You create a wonderful relationship. It maybe not, it will never be perfect or who knows. And you create it together. So you have to ask yourself, can I look past this to create something really epic with this person? Or does this thing raise way too many issues or past issues for me to be able to create something great here? Is it too much of a roadblock that I could not get past this and create something great? 
Sometimes the answer will be yes, it is too much of a roadblock. And sometimes you'll laugh being like, this is fucking hilarious that I've focused on this small thing. I'm going to laugh, give it a chance and see how I feel. And you can keep giving it a chance here and there. But the main things are, if you can raise it with this person, raise it kindly and gently with this person. See how they react and it might actually help you get closer to the person because they're so playful and such legends, okay? And if you feel that you're not comfortable raising it with this person, that's another indication. Ask yourself, why am I not comfortable? Maybe that's another warning flag for you, all right? Um, Before I go into, before I wrap it up and go into the listener question, I'm just going to read out a few more to wrap up, a few more of these icks, I should say. All right. This is too good. Fuck, I just could go on forever. Being too available. Why can't you socialize with others? Partner on the phone while visiting my family. Oh, that would fucking piss me off. Doesn't eat vegetables. Holds a fork incorrectly. Pants are way too tight. No banter. What? This is the best one, I think. Watching them chase a ping pong ball but not being able to catch it. This is so fucking hilarious. Because imagine being like, I cannot be with you because I saw you chase a ping pong ball and that was the end of that finished, can't date you. Um, Bragging, being a mummy's boy, wanting kids way too soon, chewing their food, pinching their nose when jumping into water. This poor soul doesn't want water in their nose and now they've created an ick. When they sleep in, asking me what I'm doing when I'm on my phone when they're not. I'm clearly on my phone. Noises while kissing. When a guy only talks about money. Bragging about hunting. Gaming as a priority. Saying you while throwing a shaka. His drunk face, so distorted and off-putting, I can't. Lack of a bedsheet. Being asked what is wrong with me for having been single for so long. Oh, fuck, I hate that so much too. I hate that. Kissing like a washing machine. Weaponized incompetence, bad posture when his mum makes his food, and lastly, leaning into gender roles. So some of those are, I truly think, are red flags, and some of those are just, you honestly just made my day, made me laugh so much. Hilarious. Guys, that is all for the topic of today. We're going to go straight into the listener questions. All right, today I've got two listener questions just because one of them is very short. Um, Hi, Alexis. My listener question is, with the growing success of your podcast and books, have you considered expanding into nutrition and fitness? Um, Help to get your beans healthy in body as well as mind. Much love from Canada. Love that question. I actually am expanding into – well, yeah, I'm expanding into fitness um, and it's actually – that was the first thing I did as far as my career goes. I was a personal trainer and a Pilates instructor for over 10 years prior to starting the podcast. So I'm actually currently about to announce a membership model, um, but I'll go into more detail soon. So stay tuned, stay very tuned. And this is going to include um, a whole library of workouts. It includes stretches, Pilates workouts with no equipment and also resistance workouts, but all to do at home. Um, So I'm really, really excited. I'm not going into nutrition, at least not at this stage. It's not something that I specialize in. So if I ever did go into nutrition, I would be partnering with somebody that I would 
have to align with and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's not on the cards, at least not in the near future, but fitness absolutely is and that's coming very soon. So um, stay tuned. Next listener question. Hi, Alexis. Love your podcast. I would really appreciate some actionable advice on a question. Dating question. When is it a good time to ask someone what they're looking for? When you've matched but before you've met or once you've been out a few times and getting to know someone? A bit more on the background. I appreciate there isn't a fixed hard and fast rule, but some guidance to help consider this would be great. I'm currently single and online dating. Often profiles say whether a guy is looking for a relationship, short or long term, whether they want slash are open to kids, etc. But a lot of the time they don't complete this or when you get to know them, they say something different. And honestly, this is just me on the side making a comment. I've seen that so many with, so many times with my friends where a guy will say interested in a relationship and then there's absolutely like no interest whatsoever in a relationship. Anyway, um, I'm clear on what I'm looking for and my intentions in the dating world, but I'm unsure when to ask about this from others. I don't want to seem too mechanical or rushed. I do honestly want to take the time to get to know someone properly, but often find that after four to six weeks of dating, we find out that we're looking for very different things. It's not a waste of time as I'm learning things about myself and each guy I meet, but I would certainly, but it would certainly be easier to know a little bit earlier. Any tips massively appreciated. I personally do not see the problem in just asking somebody while you're chatting. Firstly, it depends how much you chat prior because there are some people that will chat like, hey, would love to take you out. How about a drink tomorrow night? Bang. Then in that scenario, absolutely, I would go out for the drink and meet that person. If So in the scenario, here's two options. In the scenario that there's barely any chat and a date has been set up, I would go on the date. Based on how the date unfolds, if you like the date, I would then either on the second date or in text messages or chatting after the first date, just say, listen, I didn't ask you this on the date, but are you looking for something casual or are you looking to explore things further? You don't have to say a relationship because some people are like, whoa, relax, can't have only met you once. But it's okay to, to say something along the lines of, are you just looking for fun or would you want to explore something further? Because you are not here to waste your time. And if they turn around and say, whoa, whoa, relax, I'm just having fun, then you've literally just saved yourself going out with this person further if they just want to fuck around and you are interested in this person. If you're interested in someone, the sooner the better because you also don't want to avoid saying it because you like them and then you yourself get way too caught up on someone and emotionally invested and then it gets harder and harder to pull the Band-Aid off, okay? So I personally don't think there's ever too soon a time. But if it's just literally, hey, I would love to take you out and because a lot of people don't like to talk for too much on these apps. They prefer to meet in person. And in that scenario, personally, me, I would want to just meet them in person, might as well. The next scenario is where you're chatting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. There's banter. It's great. You're like, can't wait to meet this person. We're chatting heaps. They might have even sent you a voice note. You may have even had a phone call. And then you think, fuck, this is going to be fun. I really like this person. Then I don't see the harm if you're pretty interested in this person based on what you've seen. I do not see the harm in you saying, listen, can't wait to meet up. But before we do so, I just wanted to kind of see where you're at in the dating scene are you actually looking to date someone seriously or are you just out for fun, not looking for a relationship? Um, I'd just love to know, you know, and it, it's so fine, but this gives them the opportunity to, despite what they've written on their dating profile, to just be open and honest. And you know what? 
there's going to be people out there that are not going to be open and honest and that's just the dating scene. But at least you sift out a little bit of this stuff. And if someone, you know, most people I think in this stage when they're like when someone's hit them right between the eyes and asked them an honest question, uh, most people are pretty good at being like, yeah, look, in general, I'm here for fun. If I found the right person, I might whatever, but they're kind of telling you where they're at. And then you can make the call because there are a lot of people that are just there for fun. But if they meet the person that they fucking cannot get, a, like cannot stop thinking about, they're going to want to date them. Do you know what I mean? So I personally, that would be my advice to you on those both those scenarios. I don't think it's ever too soon. Um, you've got to keep in mind that it is your time as well. Don't think that, you know, you've got to be polite by having all these dates with these people. No, fuck no, it's your time too. And if you don't want to get too caught up and get too into somebody, ask the questions sooner. Hopefully that was a more um, precise answer for you. Hopefully that did give you some insight and help you because I know that the online dating scene can be hard to navigate. So you have to rip the bandaid and be ruthless when you need to be. Okay. Um, that is all for today. Love you guys so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for all the love. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone. And especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.